Well, as usual, when we gather around the Hebrew Bible in worship or study, God's love of righteousness and justice will come out front and center in the conversation. It was there a few weeks ago when we looked at the story of the Exodus, and it's there nearly every time we get into the prophets. I've already made a case in several sermons this year that God has a bias toward the poor and marginalized, and that God's anger is directed toward people who oppress other people. I could almost repeat one of those sermons today and be true to this text. Instead, I'm going to come at it from another angle. The role of the community in living out God's vision of justice, peace, and shalom. Micah 6.8 may be the most well-loved verse from the Hebrew prophets, at least for Mennonite readers, as evidenced by the number of hands that went up when Carissa was talking to the children. Even in the Mennonite church of my childhood, which didn't spend much time talking about social justice, this verse was memorized and made to shine. In King James English, of course, he hath showed thee, with show spelled with an E, which always confused me as a kid. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, what is, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. From then until today, that verse has inspired and challenged us as individuals to live a life that pleases God, one in which our personal behavior is fair and just to others, shows mercy in our interpersonal relationships, and exhibits humility in our walk with God. And that is an altogether good and appropriate way to read the text, to let it inspire us as we navigate our own daily lives in this world. But in this worship series this fall, we've been talking about our roots, the part of the plant that grounds us and nourishes us, and our tendrils, the part that keeps us attached to those around us. God is all about growing a people, a deeply connected people, who will demonstrate to a watching world what God's love and justice and shalom look like in human community. So let's put that lens on as we look at the prophet Micah. First, we go back a few verses before this famous one. This morning we read part of chapter 5 and then hopped over the first part of chapter 6 so we could land on that golden verse that I just quoted. But the first part of 6 makes clear the source of Micah's concern. The speaker is not always identified in the text, but it's clear that this passage is constructed as a three-way conversation between God God's people, and God's prophet Micah. First, the prophet talks to the people in verse 2. Yahweh is bringing a lawsuit against you, Israel, Micah says. Listen to his argument. 
And then God, the plaintiff, says, my people, what did I ever do to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam before you. You see, Yahweh is laying the groundwork for his court case. And the defendant is the whole people of Israel. Not one person, the entire community. And I suspect the community has an idea of what's coming They know they have not lined up well against God's standard of justice and righteousness. So their anonymous, unnamed spokesperson jumps in, their attorney, and asks Yahweh, in the part we read today, what would you like me to do? Shall I bow? Maybe lie prostrate before you? Would you like a burnt offering? Like a yearling calf? completely burnt to ashes. Or maybe a ram, maybe thousands of rams. Or some oil, not a little trickle, a flood. 10,000 rivers of oil. Or how about I give up my firstborn, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. This is the people's attorney speaking on behalf of his own community, engaging in some desperate plea bargaining. In this trial, he's an attorney who is also a defendant. He's part of the group on trial. The prophet Micah speaks next. Micah is God's attorney. Why are you asking God about such things? Yahweh has already told you, mortal, what is good and what God requires of you. Do justice. Embrace loving kindness. Walk humbly with God. It's safe to say these are words for the whole class of defendants. First, people... Do justice. Structure your way of living together in the world according to my laws that protect the poor, the widow, the orphan, that prevent human oppression of other humans. And second, embrace loving kindness. The Hebrew word here is chesed, as Carissa tried to pronounce with the children. Can you all say it? Chesed. Steadfast love, steadfast love that never fails, love that survives against all odds, showing kindness even to those who don't deserve it. Third, walk humbly with God. Walk humbly together as a community who knows who they are before God, beloved and serving a cause greater than themselves. Now, I find this prophetic message compelling. 
that a whole community of God's people are invited together not only to do justice and practice stubborn love, but they are asked to walk together humbly with God in this world. I find it especially compelling in our present political climate and worthwhile reflecting on as we come out of the midterm elections, where the whole focus is on winners and losers, or to be more precise, winning parties and losing parties. <clears throat> Micah is preaching collective, corporate, communal humility. The phrase group humility is an oxymoron today. Those two words don't go together. I can't think of anywhere to point to find an example of such a thing. We live in a world where one country after another is electing extreme nationalists who are popular precisely because they refuse to show group humility toward other nations and blatantly promote an us-first agenda. And back home in the USA, is there any room at all for group humility? We are led by a Congress where lawmakers are pressured to vote in lockstep with their party and demonize their political opponents or face the consequences of their disloyalty. And in our churches, we are experiencing a resurgence of Christian nationalism where Christians think it's their calling to take back their country by controlling our institutions from the national government down to local authorities. What would it mean for the church of Jesus to exhibit public humility in our walk with God in society? instead of what has become the new normal for churches, to go on the offensive, trying to prove our significance and stature, fighting against people that we are called to love, trying to stave off the inevitable decline in numbers and decline in social relevance by practicing muscular Christianity. For that matter, Groups of any kind in our culture don't have much practice in being purposefully, authentically humble. As I think about our own congregation here, it seems like we have ample reason for some group pride. We're not perfect by any means, but we're strong, we're healthy, we're resilient. Some congregations have been thoroughly beaten up by years of polarization and pandemic and economic woes and culture wars. We haven't. Some churches can't even think about pivoting toward a new future because they're hanging on by a thread. We aren't. 
We even have a dream team whose job it is to help us dream of new ways to form faith among us. But you know, as soon as I start putting words to those thoughts, I hear God's attorney, the prophet Micah. Who do you think you are? God's gift to the Christian faith? Do justice. Be steadfast in your love of others and walk humbly with God in your neighborhood. Do more listening than preaching. Love the unlovable as a church. Make a home for the stranger. Be humble as a community about what you have and what you can do. Give yourselves away to those with less, with no conditions attached, and without calling attention to how gener generous your church is. You know, we are in challenging times for any institution, especially religious institutions. The institutional church has lost the public's trust for the most part. We're in an environment where every group jockeys for position. When they, where they gather together their tribe and circle the wagons, look for strength in numbers for more influence and a louder voice to try to gain the tactical advantage. Let's model a different way of being God's people. Shall we? And, and demonstrate humble, steadfast love and mercy. It won't change all the corrupt power structures overnight, but it might start a small movement. It might spark the imagination of other groups, and it might be just what the prophet Micah is calling for. It takes a village to walk humbly with our God. So join me in an act of group humility right now by reading with me our corporate confession printed in your bulletin and shown on the screens. God, we confess that we are tempted by tribalism, showing solidarity with people like us who share our faith our family ties, our social and political loyalties. Forgive us, God of all tribes and nations. We also confess we are tempted by individualism, failing to see our need of others to form and shape us in your way. Forgive us, God of all. Where individualism creates distance from neighbors I need, where tribalism 
creates distance between our people and the large and diverse communities we need, forgive us. The God of justice, whose heart is for all tribes and nations, forgives and loves us without condition and invites us to join our lives with others, together doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God.